So for some reason lately, I've been thinking a lot about childhood toys. Maybe it's the fact that Kirsten is getting old enough to start playing with them, but I have rediscovered how much I appreciate Legos as the favorite toy in a household, right? They're the worst things in the world to step on when you're barefoot. (laughs) However, I've got an appreciation for exactly what they allow a kid to do, right? Because the first thing I would do when I got a kit, when I got a new kit of Legos, is I would look at the thing and I'd go, okay, I have my Legos. It says there are 110 pieces. Here are the instructions. And maybe unlike most kids, I would sit there and I would go through the instructions step by step by step until finally at the end I have this really cool looking pirate ship or spaceship or you know whatever it is that I was building, I'd have exactly what was supposed to be there, right? Then invariably about after you know a week or a month or an hour, <laughs> you know, you kind of get like, okay, well I, maybe it'd be cooler if I added extra lasers on my spaceship. Or maybe the pirate ship just needs more cannons, or maybe I need a spaceman on the pirate ship and a pirate on the spaceship. And let's just kind of mix and match this. Let's see where the Legos can take us, because after all, there's no rule against having pirates on a spaceship, right? And so over time, you know, you kind of collect this large collection, right? And so we actually have a giant Tupperware container or two full of Legos, where you look in, the, look in the bin and you find pirates next to spacemen, next to the regular dude who looks like Waldo, you know, because he's got that red and white striped shirt. Those of you who have old school Legos know exactly which one I'm talking about. You know, and so you go through and you've got all of these different parts. And there's no way you could possibly use them all to make one thing, but out of all of these parts, out of all these pieces you've collected over the years, you can build something that is exactly what you need for that particular moment. I've come to the conclusion that I I think that theology at its best, what we believe about God at its best, is actually a lot like a Lego set. Because when you first learn or when you are first taught, there's a very regimented, specific set of things you learn. Maybe you you first learned to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And so before bed every night, you'd have a specific prayer that you pray. And so this is the way you pray. And Jesus started that way with his disciples. He's like, when you pray, pray like this. And he gives them exactly what they were supposed to say. But then over time, you you grow to the point where you can take the pieces of that prayer. You can take the request for forgiveness. You can take the request for daily bread. You can take the glorifying, (laughs) our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can take those pieces and you can arrange them in new ways without changing the essential truth of what you have been taught. And so you can kind of build a prayer that expresses exactly what you need to say in that moment. From all of the pieces that you've learned and the pieces that you've been given from hearing other people pray or hearing in Scripture the prayers that were prayed in Scripture or you take words from the Psalms 
And you take these pieces and you put them together in new ways so that your relationship with God, you can actually express yourself in a new way. Some of you are probably getting nervous because I'm talking about changing theology. And you're right. There are improper ways to use this. There, there are changes that you should not make. Just like in Legos, you should not load Legos into a slingshot. This is a bad idea, right? And yet sometimes that's exactly what we do with the truths that we've learned about God. We turn them into weapons to throw at other people. Sometimes we, we take our Legos, and if you're anything like I was as a kid, you want to know what happens when you take the matches from the kitchen and the Lego from your Lego set, and what if we burn the Lego? What happens next? You, know, you end up with an awful smell. <laughs> you end up with melted plastic, and you end up with a very upset set of parents. Right? I'm not suggesting we take the truths about God and we melt them down and we make them whatever we want them to be. But I am suggesting it doesn't have to be exactly what you learned that one time and you can never change it. Just as you change and you grow, your understanding of God changes and it grows. You can take those pieces that you've learned over the years and you can, you can put them together in ways that have fresh expressions of the fullness of God. At least my prayer for each and every one of us is that when we are 20 years from now, our understanding of God does not look exactly like it did 20 years ago. I hope we've grown in our understanding, and I hope we see God in new ways. And so I think that the importance of theology here is that it's the structured way that we talk about who God is, right? Theology, if you want to get a theology degree, often you'll get a science degree in theology if you go to, if you go to college for it. And so you end up with this, this kind of regimented way of here's, here are all the building blocks, here's what we can prove, here's what we know, here's, here's what we can trust in what we know about God. And the goal then, much like in other areas of science, is to take the pieces that we know, take the things that we can prove, take the things that we can trust, and let's build something that's even bigger than the pieces. And so if we take, for instance, today's story, Jesus healing ten lepers, it seems fairly straightforward, right? You've got ten guys. They're sick. Jesus sees them. Jesus heals them and tells them to go run off and go show themselves to the priest so they can be declared clean. And as they're running off, one of them sees that he has been healed and he runs back giving praise to God and thanking Jesus. And then Jesus asks a question, doesn't he? He looks at the one who came back, and he says, where are the other nine? And this, this one, this one that realizes it, the one that came back, the one that gave glory to God, he's, he's the Samaritan. He's the one that we'd be the first to look down on. He's the one who doesn't get it. He's the one who's supposed to not understand the way religion is supposed to work. He's the one whose theology was all messed up. But he's the one that comes back and says thank you and gives praise and glory to God. And so Jesus kind of observes that, says go, your faith has made you well. 
And see, when I read these stories, I realize just how many pieces, how many little truths, how many little nuggets of things that I've picked up over the years, I just unconsciously have in the back of my head as I read. Because on the one hand, I'm thinking about, well, there's the Samaritan. Okay, so there's the story of the good Samaritan, the one who rescues the guy who is on the side of the road. There's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And in each of these stories, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, every time Jesus talks about Samaritans, they seem to be the hero of the story. And so I learn from that one of the little Lego pieces I take with me is that Jesus doesn't seem to care much where you came from. Jesus doesn't seem to care much what your theology might have been or what your parents said or what church you went to or which synagogue or which mountain you worshipped on top of. What Jesus cares about is, do you give praise to God when good things come your way? Do you take care of the person who is in need of help? And are you sick and can I heal you? It tends to kind of transcend those barriers. And so I've got that nugget sitting in the back of my head, but I'm also noticing the struggle that always comes up in the back of my head when I see that Jesus has healed someone is that if God wanted them to be well, why were they sick to begin with? Right? Was God unaware that these men had leprosy until they walked up? And the answer to that question is bigger and has a lot more pieces <laughs> than it seems. I have a difficult time giving a comprehensive good reason for why bad things happen. Why is the leper sick? Why did my friend pass away? Why did they lose their job? Why was that person so cruel? Why does it hurt? And so there are two helpful Lego pieces, or maybe even whole Lego sets, ways of thinking about this question that are, are helpful. And I'm going to get a little detailed, and at least not along every once in a while, even if I lose you. I'm trying, I'll try not to. One of the ways is they, they call it either Calvinism or the sovereignty of God, and they, they kind of go into the idea that God ordains everything. If anything happens, it is the will of God that that happens. So it is our job then to accept that God knows all things before they will happen. And so, yes, God knew, and God maybe even caused those men to have leprosy, but in the end, they were healed. And so then the lesson of that particular way of looking at it would be that we can trust that in the end it will be okay. And in the meantime, we have to do our best to follow God in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. Another consequence of that particular Lego set is that free will is very de-emphasized. Whatever happens will happen. God is in charge. And so your ability to choose is much reduced. That's not what the Free Methodist Church teaches. See, when John Wesley started talking about things like that, John Wesley took for granted 
as a given, as something that you don't even have to prove, that our choices matter. And from John Wesley's point of view, if our choices don't matter, and we can't really choose, and our choices are not meaningful, and they don't make a difference, then it would be wrong of God to judge us for our decisions. Because if they're not our fault, and we can't make choices, why would God hold us accountable for choices we can't make? It seems wrong. And so John Wesley said, the, the only way this makes sense is if we can choose. We can choose to do what is right. We can choose to do what is wrong. And God has given us that ability to choose. Right? And so that means that when we, we look at it this way, we realize that then it is right of God to hold us responsible for our choices because they're our choices. And so now we get into the question where, you know, we have these two Lego pieces where if God knows all things and we believe that our choices matter and the future is not yet set until we make our choice, how are those both true? Books have been written about that. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> um, let's suffice it to say for now that it's, it's something that John Wesley saw as essential. And so for part of it, we take it on faith that yes, God knows the future. God is not surprised when things happen. And yet, our choices matter. We have free will. We can absolutely change what will happen in the future by the choice that God has given us. So when we choose to do what is right, we are building the kind of future that God would have us build. And so we get into this, this kind of this back and forth where it changes how you see the world, doesn't it? Because if we believe that our choices can't change the world, then our job is to survive it. Our job is to put up with or deal with or survive or tolerate whatever is going on because we can't change it. So we may as well just trust God and he'll fix it in the end because that's not our job, that's his. And yet when we get into this idea of justice and healing and redemption and restoration of the world, if you believe that we have the opportunity to choose and to change the world around us, now we believe that if God is making the world better and different and new, and God is healing what is broken and healing what is sick, and then he asks us to do the things that he does, Well, now when Jesus sends out the 70 and says, here, go, heal the sick, drive out demons, bring healing to the land, we see that he meant that literally. He said, hey, you need to do this. You need to go. You need to heal the sick because that's what we need to do in the world. We want sickness to be gone. The kingdom of God is about people who are healthy and whole, and we are working our way towards that. We're just not there yet. And we, when we follow God's will, we are helping to bring that world into reality, to make his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is right now in heaven. One of Melanie's least favorite hymns, and becoming one of mine, is I'll Fly Away. It's a great tune. I love singing it. 
But it kind of emphasizes that, hey, well, you know, someday this is all going away, so let's just run from it. It's an an abdication of our God-given responsibility to take what is here and now and to see God's will done today. Because it's not about going and seeing those ten lepers. Jesus could have gone and seen the ten lepers and go, you know what, guys, you have a great future in heaven. One day you will be sitting at the right hand of of God the Father. You will be one of his chosen ones. You will have an eternal destiny that will make all of this worth it. He could have told them that. It would have even been true. But instead, time and time and time again, we see in the Gospels, Jesus taking action here and now. We see him seeing sick people and saying, I will heal you right here, right now, and your faith has made you well. I don't know about you, but if I had to make a list of the times that my faith has made something well, I'd have to think about it. But Jesus says that often enough through the Gospels, it's got me thinking, maybe that's what my faith is supposed to be able to do. Last week we talked about if you have faith the size of mustard seed, you can tell the tree to uproot itself and be planted in the ocean, and it should go do it. And this week we see Jesus saying, as he often did, your faith has made you well. And it would be easy to melt this Lego brick down and make it look the way we want it to and say, well, that means if I have enough faith, I can heal anyone I want. No. But when our faith is put into action and we apply our faith to today instead of some glad morning when this life is over, I believe that our faith should help to make things well. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you get to work, and you're really super grumpy, and then the first person you work with that day yells at you for about 10 minutes. I have faith that God loves even this person. I have faith that God loves me. I have faith that in this situation there is work to be done that can bring about the kingdom of heaven even right after being yelled at for something that was not my fault. My faith can make this well. To bring God into each and every situation and to say, where is healing? Where is goodness? Where is kindness? Where is compassion in this moment? And how can my faith make this well? And I've talked to enough people at enough times where we're in the habit of anointing people or praying that, hey, this person needs to come home from the hospital. Maybe we also pray that our faith literally makes people well also. Because we serve a God who seems to put a high priority on that when he was here in the flesh. And so instead of taking these These formulas I was taught when I was younger because I wasn't ready to take the thing apart and build something for myself. (laughs) 
When I was younger, I followed the instructions. I went step by step. I said, okay, this is exactly how it has to be. The older I get, the more I realize that God is far bigger than I could ever build. I can't build a box big enough to contain him. I can't think a thought big enough to describe him. But as I slowly discover the tiny pieces of who he is, it's those tiny little pieces that give me hope. And so for me, one of those tiny little pieces each week is, I don't know about you, but I, I love taking communion with you all. It's, I, I've told people it's why I come to church. <laughs> you know, I mean, the sermons are great, but <laughs> that, was a, that was a joke. More of you can laugh at that. <laughs> Thank you, Kellyanne. But seriously, it is, it is a community thing for me. I appreciate getting to come and to see people who have been gone. I get to see you when you come back. I get to shake your hand, see how your week went. There's something about our faith, especially when practiced together like this, that makes us well. <laughs>